Good morning, everyone. Now, before we get to slightly more serious matters, uh, can I commend three Wilsons for wearing Socceroos jerseys this morning? Uh, it, it warms and gladdens my heart to see Socceroos jerseys, especially after uh, a win in the World Cup last night. Uh, if you are a soccer or football fan, uh, as, as I and the Wilsons are, uh, you, you probably know that we, we got a win. Uh, that's very exciting. And so, well done, fellas, for, for donning your Socceroos jerseys uh, this morning. Uh, now, if I haven't met you before, my name is Ross, uh, and, and I'm a member of the church here. Uh, it's my job this morning to, to step into Graham's boots uh, and continue our series uh, in Ephesians. Uh, and, and though you might be more familiar or more used to seeing Graham stand up here uh, and speak from the Bible, uh, the, the wonderful thing that we can recognise and take comfort in, uh, even though it's me that you have up here this morning, uh, is that the God whom we know about and read about in the Bible uh, remains exactly the same. Uh, his word is unchanging. His promises uh, are sure. And the Holy Spirit that lives within us uh, is continuing to shape us and point us to Jesus always. Uh, so as we prepare this morning, uh, can I encourage you to have our, our Bible passage from Ephesians 5 open. Uh, there are Bibles in the foyer if you'd like to go and get one. You're very welcome to go and grab one now. Uh, we also have our, our bulletin. Uh, in the middle of it, there is, there is space for some notes to be taken with a couple of headings that will be based on uh, the talk this morning. So please pray with me uh, as, we, as we get stuck into and think about Ephesians chapter 5. Blessed Lord, uh, you have caused the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we might hear, read, learn and inwardly digest them. That through the comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the hope of an everlasting life which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus. Amen. We live in a world that loves individuality. From fashion uh, and home styling, interior design, through to our preferences and choices in music, to work and career choices, our world encourages us to seek the approach that best suits us and to live without concern or particular regard for the opinions or views of others that differ. Uh, you do you has become a phrase that gets used regularly to encourage and affirm whatever suits you is the life that you should lead. Uh, it's a modern catch cry that's also been used to critique and rebuke others from copying or imitating other people. There's a strong sense that to copy someone is to deny that you're living a truly authentic life. Now, I'm a high school teacher. Uh, that means every year there is a class that finishes year 12 and uh, the HSC and graduates and celebrates with a formal at the end of it. Uh, pretty much every year I'll go along to these formals and you know, it's, a, it's a pretty nice night. Uh, but along with the, the formal itself, uh, I hear conversations from students as they plan out their, their outfits, the dress or the suit that they're planning on wearing. Uh, and it, it would probably astound you somewhat how much angst and concern there is when they worry that someone might have an outfit that looks a little bit similar or, heaven forbid, be exactly the same. <laughs> they are so, uh, there's such a strong desire to stand out and be different uh, and this is deeply embedded 
in the hearts of these students. Uh, but our hearts are like this too. We want to stand out. We want to be different from others. We're not immune to striving after this. Now, it is important for us to recognise that we have been made uniquely uh, and we're different to other people in many, many ways, and, and this is a good thing. There will always be differences and individuality amongst us and as part of the world. However, as we look at the start of chapter 5, we're going to find some parts of life where, Jesus, as Jesus' followers, we're called not to indulge our individuality. We're going to find verses 1 and 2 that's standing out in contrast, in conflict with the catch cry of you do you. Let me read verses 1 and 2 for us again. Follow Christ's example, therefore, dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now this chapter starts with a call to copy Christ. Uh, other versions use the expression, be imitators of Christ. Uh, both of these expressions make it very clear that we're not being given permission to express ourselves in any way we deem fit. The instruction is to be like Jesus. And Paul is specific about what aspect of Jesus' life we are to copy and imitate. That is, that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice. That is, of course, the heart, the central message of what the gospel is. This means that for followers of Jesus, the fundamentally distinctive trait, the thing that should set us apart from the world around us and also from our former lives, is the love that we have, that we live just as Christ loved us. We are to be like Jesus. That means Christ-shaped and not culture-shaped. Jesus' priorities become our priorities and the nature and ways of the world around us should become less and less significant and meaningful to us. And Paul makes this even more explicit for the Ephesians when he encourages them to live a life of love. Again, this is not a life of love that's to be individually defined. Instead, all of God's people are to live a life for the good of others. In imitating or copying Christ, we are to remember that Jesus gave himself up for us. Therefore, we need to give ourselves up for others. Voluntary self-sacrifice. Christ died as an offering and sacrifice to God for the salvation of sinners and to please God. We are to imitate and copy Jesus. We are to live a life with sacrifices for the salvation of others and to please others and to please God. Distinctive Christian love, what sets us apart is love that is self-sacrificial for the salvation of others and to please God. The next part of the chapter moves to define and clarify what Christ's example for living a life of love is. And it's by making some distinct statements about what God's high standards for holiness are. Verse 3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. So there are three distinct no's that Paul is sharing with the Ephesians. There must not be sexual immorality, impurity or greed. 
Now, Bible-believing Christians uh, have often been the recipients of a reputation that focuses and highlights on what we reject. And unfortunately so, as part of this reputation, it often doesn't recognise the reasons why we are to reject some things of this life and in the world. When Paul speaks about sexual immorality, he's meaning any sexual activity that is outside of marriage, even if it's between two consenting adults. This stands in drastic contrast to what the world around us encourages us to do. Common views are highly permissive of sex and sexual expression. Sex outside of marriage, either premarital or adultery, are common and condoned. Divorce rates are climbing and demonstrate the devaluing of marriage within society. The quantity and access to pornography increases and attitudes towards pornography and masturbation have been normalised, particularly through increasing amounts of nudity featuring within TV shows and movies. All of this contributes to views uh, of sex and sexual expression that seek individual enjoyment and comfort. These are views that lack self-control, self-sacrifice and place individual needs over the needs of others. And so as Paul addresses the church in Ephesus, he is reminding them that like us, the sexual practices that occur in the city and the culture around the church that differ from God's model for sex and relationships are not to be replicated in the church. Who we are to copy and imitate is to be Jesus, not the culture around us. The other two no's that Paul highlights are impurity and greed. And while these two areas do differ from sexual immorality, there is a consistent theme that ties all three together. This theme comes, we can be recognised through us looking at verses 1 and 2 and remembering what they said. Both impurity, we could consider that lust, drunkenness, lewdness, crudeness, or greed, taking more than we need, particularly to the detriment of others, involve us placing our needs over the needs of others. This stands in stark contrast to imitating Christ's example of self-sacrificial love. So the defining traits for God's people and his church are to be love for others that is self-sacrificial and this should be particularly noticeable in the conduct of the church when it comes to sexuality, purity and greed. Paul is clear in how we should consider our conduct in these areas. He states there should be no hint at all of any of these things. And so we must ask ourselves if our conduct matches this standard too. If anyone outside of the church were to look at us, would they recognise both what we deny, that's sexual immorality, impurity and greed, but also what we strive for, a life of self-sacrificial love be clearly on display? Would they see a bunch of individuals who place their own needs above the needs of others or a group who are working together going out of their way to love and care for one another? When we're spending time with our friends or our family, do we laugh along with crude or inappropriate jokes? Do we condone and approve of sexual immorality? If we do, then we really need to uh, consider how we are following Christ's example. So Paul's been clear about what we are to say no to, then what guidance is given for how we should live? Uh, as we move into the next section, I think there's a story that will help, uh, help share this for us. The story starts with a billionaire. He decides to spend some of his riches 
on a luxury yacht. Not having grown up on the water himself, he places an advert for a skipper to captain his precious and expensive yacht. Selecting the three best applicants, the billionaire plans a day on the harbour for friends and family and for the three applicants to demonstrate their sailing skill. He explains that he wants a sailor of great skill who will be available to take him and his friends or his clients out onto the water sailing whenever he needed. The successful applicant, of course, will be handsomely rewarded. He's a billionaire after all. Each of these three men take, t- take their turn in showca- showcasing their skills out on the harbour. The first sailed the priceless yacht at top speed within 30 metres of the rocky cliffs. Everyone gasped at his talents. The second skipper was even more skillful. He sailed the boat within 15 metres of the rocky cliffs. All were breathless with excitement and with some trepidation about what the third captain would attempt. The third candidate, however, calmly, safely steered the yacht out into the middle of the harbour and all enjoyed a very relaxing trip and enjoyed the stunning views that were on offer. To the great surprise of the crowd on the the yacht, the billionaire gave the job to the third captain. You were all amazingly skillful, the billionaire said. But my yacht is precious, and I don't want a captain who is so confident as to be tempted to steer within a few metres of crashing into the rocks. One mistake, and it's a disaster. I want a captain who will take my precious yacht into the open water, enjoy the safety and beauty that's there. The billionaire, the owner of the yacht, doesn't need a captain who's going to push the limits to find out what the boat or his skill are capable of. And as he says to the guest, one mistake and it's a disaster. The exquisite, precious, expensive boat will be destroyed. The best use of it is to not tempt fate or run it too close to its limits with regularity. It is to be put in a position where it can be best used and enjoyed without risking danger and disaster. So as we look at verses 8 to 14, we describe, we have this type of life described as living in light. It says in verses 8 to 10, For you once were in darkness, but now are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. There is to be a contrast in the former life of the Christians in Ephesus and how they should live as followers of Jesus. Uh, In last week's sermon, which focused on chapter 4, we we heard a command. Chapter 4 verse 17 says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futile futility of their thinking. In verses 22 to 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your former self, which has been corrupted by the deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is telling them to remove their former life, and pursue God's instruction and calling for their lives. In chapter 5, this is referred to as living 
as children of light, not staying in the darkness, but seeking light. There are many references to light across the Bible, and many of these help to illuminate the value and importance God places in light. A starting point for us is at the beginning, Genesis 1, in creation. The very first act of creation, God proclaimed, let there be light. And of course there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated light from darkness. So in the beginning, God defined the world by separating the two because it was good for there to be light. If we bookend it by going to our very last book of the Bible, Revelation, it describes and speaks of heaven and declares that there will be no night or darkness. Jesus will be the eternal source of light present in heaven. So at the very end, in perfect heaven, there is no darkness. There will only be light. Jesus also states himself in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. From just these three references, it is showing us that God desires for his world and his people to be living in light, not in darkness. From creation through to eternity, along with every day lived with Jesus, God wants light to be present in our world and in our lives. Light is by nature illuminating. It allows us to clearly see where we are, what we are doing, and get an accurate picture of what we are like. Now, as a dad to three young boys who all enjoy playing with small matchbox toy cars, it means there can be quite a few of these little miniature cars that get left around our house. Now, this is not a major problem during the daytime when any rogue cars that haven't been put away can be sighted, spotted, avoided, and packed away. However, by night, in darkness, these oddly shaped, sharp, metallic cars become major hazards. And if, like me, you've ever stepped on one in the middle of the night, you will recall the surprise and pain that came with it and know that it's not an experience you want to have repeated. So if a toy car on the ground in the dark of night can show us our our want, our need, our preference for light, how much more should we as children of light live as children of light when it comes to our three no's from earlier in the passage? Sexual immorality, impurity and greed. How much more should we be like the third yacht captain who sails the boat to the middle of the harbour and moves away from the dangers of the rocky cliffs. Verses 11 and 12 are very clear in saying, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. We are not to entertain or invite darkness into our lives. Ephesians 5 provides a a list of behaviours that Christians should have nothing to do with. Paul lists obscenity, foolish talking, coarse joking, disobedience to God, drunkenness and debauchery. Verse 7 describes that our lives should not be partnered with these behaviours. And with that use of the word partner, we're given a description that shows how we can be joined to these sinful actions. It gives us an image of connection and relationship. But unlike the way that a relationship 
like marriage can be under God a wonderful blessing, a relationship with any of these actions are improper for God's holy people, as verse 3 says. And it's labelled as improper because these things will lead us to indulging our appetites for pleasure and comfort and placing our needs above those of others. This, of course, is in stark contrast to Paul's initial call in verses 1 and 2, where we are to imitate Christ in self-sacrificial love for others. And it's also in contrast to the message of Ephesians 1, where we are to unite all things under Christ. Specifically with these behaviours, there is no wiggle room for difference or individual interpretation. Now, there is a continuity of this as well. In the Old Testament, we have a reference from Isaiah 60 verse 1 that features as part of verse 14 here, where it says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God's people have always been called to live in the light. So please consider if if your conduct ever wavers, especially in these areas. Obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, disobedience to God, drunkenness or debauchery, and that's in addition to our three no's from earlier. But don't just stop there either. Continue to ask yourself if you are imitating Christ and his self-sacrificial love in all your areas of life. And if, like me, you can recognise that you do not imitate Christ in all that you do, pray, repent of this, and ask for forgiveness. And we should pray, too, that we would grow in our ability to live as children of light, imitating the example that Christ provides for us. Uh, I'm going to pray about this in just a moment. uh, And after that, if you do have a question or a comment you'd like to make based on our passage this morning, uh, we'll have an opportunity for you to ask it and then we'll, we'll wrap things up and conclude from there. Uh, but please let me pray for us now. Our Lord and Father, you are a holy God. You are righteous in all that you do and all your ways are just. We thank and praise you that you provided Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to bring us into your family with hope for all eternity. We are astounded and overwhelmed by the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Father, enable us to be imitators of Jesus. Let us place the needs of others above our own. Please forgive us for when we have failed to do this and failed to imitate Christ. We ask too that you would help us to be children of light avoiding the darkness that is sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Please let the characteristics by which we, your followers, are known by bring glory to you in the way that we relate to others. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.